Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. In case you hadn't guessed by now, you're here today with Kara Williard, but also Kristen Sanat here uh, making a guest appearance. And we have a great episode, at least I think it's great, because anytime I get to talk to my dear friend, Erica Poulin-Weller, it is a fun time. And it is our very first, hopefully not last, edition of Gear Therapy Girls Edition. So Erica sent me a text a few weeks ago, and little did she know that my response would be in the form of a podcast recording, not a simple text back. But I think a lot of our audience is going to find this super helpful. We go over some basic terms. We give some what I think are great recommendations, including one of my favorite skis. And Kara just explains everything about boots, bindings, and a whole lot more. And I think this is a great episode that exemplifies a lot of what happens all the time when we get Blister member questions. Um, Sometimes people are just starting from a blank slate and really don't know where to go. And maybe they've been doing some research and it's felt really overwhelming. But that's where we come in and we try and break it all down, help make things a bit more clear, and then, of course, point you in the direction of the right gear for you. We provided quite a bit of gear therapy. And if you're not a Blister member, we highly recommend becoming one because this is what you get. Well, okay, we're not going to necessarily report a podcast episode with you, but you will get feedback that goes into what you specifically need or want out of a product. So become a Blister member. It will save you time. It'll save you money. But also become a Blister Plus member and you will also be protected on a variety of different activities ranging from skiing, snowboarding, mountain biking, rafting, kayak, and a whole lot more. We'll have a link in our show notes. Check it out and get out there and be protected while you do. Yeah. And it was also awesome to talk to Erica because last I had seen her and maybe Kristen too. She was at the Blister Summit. And of course, our next Blister Summit is coming up this February 4th through the 8th right here at Mount Crested Butte, Colorado. And we're really excited for this next iteration. Kristen, what do you have as far as the latest updates? Oh, we have so many brands. One of Erica's thing that you'll hear in this episode is that she was on AT Gear and she came to it last year for a day and she tested some gear that had AT bindings, but there's so many options out there. Whether you have AT boots and you're looking to get into Alpine boots, you're going to be able to demo boots, demo Alpine bindings, Alpine setups, or vice versa. You want to get more into the backcountry or you want to demo goggles or backpacks. Like there's so many different brands coming and it's sure to be a great time. Like it's one of my favorite weeks of the year. And I think I speak for most of our team, even though it is exhausting to put on, it is super fun. So go to our show notes. There's a link for the Blister Summit and sign up today. If you have any questions, shoot us an email and we're happy to help you plan that vacation. All right. And with that, let's get right into Gear Therapy Girls Edition with Erica. All right. Well, I am super excited to be here today with, of course, my fellow reviewer and so many other things uh, here at Blister, Kristen Sinat. And her dear friend, Erica, for Gear Therapy Girls Edition. So welcome to Gear Therapy, Erica. We are so excited to have you. And uh, yeah, thanks for making it happen. How's your day going? Oh, it's going, you know, just doing, living life. Living life. (laughs) Where are you, Erica? Can you remind us? Oh, so I'm in Woodland Park, Colorado. Sweet. Closer to me now than 
been in a long time. Yeah. Very exciting. That's what, like three and a half hours. Not yep. too bad. Yeah. Because now, I don't know, I guess this is a formal time to announce that Kristen now lives in Crested Butte. So, well, Mount Woo! Crested Butte. Yeah, excuse me. She's at, <laughs> actually guess- on the mountain. She's a ski and ski out at Mount Crested Butte. We're so stoked to have you here in the Gunnison Valley, Kristen. Yeah, thank you. Not not to be um Yay. yeah, it's not technically ski and ski out unless <laughs> I kind of make some neighbors mad and go through a parking lot or two, but yeah, we're pretty excited. It's a good move for us. So and closer to YouTube, nice. so it's it's wonderful. Woo, welcome to Colorado. Yeah, and of course I actually got to meet Erica at Blister Summit, right? You were there for a brief, yeah. brief period. It yep. was great to hang out with you a little bit. Yes. I'm really excited also to hear about how you two first met. So how, you know, what brought you to this moment here on gear therapy and how did you two meet? So uh, Eric and I went to college together, University of New Hampshire. We were both on the cross country ski team. She was a year ahead of me and the super fast chick. Woo, glory days. (laughs) But the ski team was just like, once you get there, everybody's kind of buddies, but we really hit it off and became really good friends kind of the get-go. I don't remember the first yeah. day we met. It was probably like a Beach Hill workout or some awful run. I'm sure it was like preseason. Yeah. Before classes started. Mm-hmm. Oh, we had so many fun times though. Even after, right? All those yep. uh, little spring breaks that we took after school and yeah. after college. So Yeah. And Eric has been traveling all over, lived in Europe for a bit. And well, you can speak to that more, but. Well, yeah, just we, um, we travel a lot as a family because my husband's military. So we just lived in Germany for a few years and got to go skiing over there quite a bit. Um, I miss it. But then we were in the South for a while, which made skiing a little challenging. So. Now we're back in Colorado, so I'm looking forward to getting back on the hill. And instead of talking about cross-country skiing, we're talking about alpine skiing. Woo! Yeah, so if our coach is listening, sorry about that, Corey. Um, (laughs) It's easier as you get older, right? (laughs) Yeah, going downhill is is pretty nice. Work with gravity instead of against it. Yeah. And so how we got to this moment in particular is Erica (laughs) sent me a text asking me a few questions. And I was like, oh, okay, um, I'm going to talk to Kara about this. And then turns out we roped Erica into a podcast episode. So thanks for going along with us, Erica. We're super excited to talk to you and and let us help you uh, with your ski purchases. So. Oh, I'm very excited. It's nice to have some kind of general direction because I totally need the therapy for it. I probably need therapy beyond this. So this podcast might be a few hours long, but I'm excited. I think we can only offer the one element of therapy, but we, yeah. <laughs> or at least to uh, our general audience. More. I don't I think, think they want to like hear a, the other part. A scope of practice issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we'll see where um, we end up. Who knows? There might be some life and general therapy in the mix because you know skiing is such a great part of life and and it's a therapy right it's part of that Mm -hmm. mental health days yep all right so let's talk about your background um in skiing you can you can go ahead and talk about cross country because i do think there's some overlap and then up to kind of where you are now and um what you've been skiing what you're looking for and everything like that sure i mean we can start way back (laughs) but um nordic skiing obviously is a is a perfect transition into what I currently have, which is the Alpine touring stuff. Um, but I mean, I really didn't have 
too much time in the mountain when I was younger. I was, um, since I was a Nordic skier, I, I raced in eighth grade for Alpine. Woo! Um, <laughs> but then it was a long hiatus until after graduating from UNH and finally getting a pair of Alpine skis. And I don't even remember what those were, you know, just bought them at some, one of those cheap sales at the beginning of the season. Um, and really didn't get on the mountain too much. I had a season pass at one year, but then it just lots of pauses. So I'm not a very consistent alpine skier because I've just been on and off the mountain so much over the years. We moved to Germany and I ended up getting my first pair of alpine touring skis because it's perfect for backcountry. And uh, But really, when it came down to it, we had a little kid, so we didn't get off trail too much. Um, we were more at the resorts of Zugspitz in Germany and Salbach, Hinterglam in Austria. We did some backcountry there, which is fun. Uh, we went from Germany to North Carolina for a while, and we we're back in Colorado. And we have two little ones now, and we actually started skiing a lot more, um, mostly resort skiing last year because that's what we did with the kids. Um, so I, my AT set kind of is not really being used, and that's my one pair of skis. So um, I'm looking for something that is all mountain. I can get it all done and be confident in everything. Um, and my skis right now are uh, Fisher Transalps. They're 88s, 163s, and they are very ugly. <laughs> Chief complaint. It's not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> it's fair. I, I had to get these skis because we needed them for a trip in Germany and they were all they had in stock in my length and the width and everything. And I had to go with the men's colors. And Fisher, you know, I do appreciate Fishers because I used to ski on Nordic skis with um, Fishers, but they are ugly. <laughs> Can I say that? Yes. You are welcome <laughs> to say that. Yes. They, I mean, they're. I, I don't need all this geometric stuff all the time. I, I have to um, interject a little because we're coming yeah. from the cross country world, right? And yeah. our era are the Charlie Brown boots for Nordic skiing. Like Nordic skis oh, I are- I love those. <laughs> I still have I them. I still do too. They're yellow and black hair if you haven't seen oh, them. They are nice. just hideous. And then the skis were never that nice. I mean, they're they're unisex, right? So they're they're just- They're retro now. Well, I, I mean, in general, too, right? Like Nordic skis, I don't think ever had those um, sweet top sheets or anything. No. Oh, definitely not. Yeah, no They're choices. probably too narrow. Yeah. There's not much to put on them. Yeah. I don't know. They still made <laughs> them pretty I, ugly. But <laughs> You know, back to the Nordic era, I appreciated the, the Solomon's boots that were ketchup and mustard color. Oh, before the Charlie Brown. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Yeah. I still, yeah, I love those. I still have them though, as well. I have the, uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the classic version of those ones. Yep. Yeah, gosh, I, I didn't realize how much of a history I had with Fisher. Maybe I should look into Fisher's because I my first pair of Nordic skis were Fisher's. Mm. Yeah, I have like five pairs of them, six, seven still. I well, know. I will say Fisher but, is doing a better job, I think, with graphics these days. And they've kind of uh, done this sweet thing where they offer skis in two colorways um, for all sizes mm -hmm. so that you can kind of choose like which color you like. And it's more of like a unisex approach. But we don't have to get into that quite yet. I think uh, <laughs> the the point about the skis being ugly is valid. And, uh, you know, I looked up the skis. I agree. They're they're not very nice looking and they're not what I'm looking yeah, for. Well, yeah. And they're in a, we're in a day now where we really can have it all like we can have sweet graphics plus the performance that we desire from yes. gear. So 
no compromises yes. on that um, necessarily. So I think that's great. And that's a pretty solid background. So now when you kind of came back to Colorado last season, um, what did that end up looking like for you? Were you demoing, renting? Did you try stuff out or were you just kind of making the AT setup work? So I was mostly using the AT setup. I It was great being at the summit actually and trying out a few pairs. Uh, I can't remember a couple of them off the top of my head, but I actually did try a pair of Fishers. I think it was, does Ranger sound yep. right? Like, or, mm-hmm. okay. And it was an AT, a tech binding, I think <laughs> that. So with those, uh, with the AT setup, I'm actually, since I was mostly on resort last year and barely getting off pissed and everything, I just kind of wanted to get a new ski that's going to be perfect for kind of following the kids through the trees. And then when they're having lunch with dad back at the lodge, I get to go through the trees a bit myself and find that powder. And I'm on my, my on my own out there. So um, I just want something where I can feel confident. I, they're light, they're fun, they're attractive. They are, um, they're just hitting everything. And I want to be able to enjoy my day. So when you do get those moments where you can actually speed down the mountain, <laughs> they're going to react with me and be perfect for literally everything. Cool. I don't actually think that's too much to ask. So you're in good shape for all of that. You know, like you mentioned, you've been on the Fisher Transalp 88, uh, 163 centimeters. And um, when we were kind of talking to you before, asking you questions, you mentioned that um, you felt like you had some issues maneuvering the ski off piste, which is totally valid um, because as you kind of, as we kind of look at the ski, um, you know, it's a bit stiff. It's super lightweight for touring, which is awesome. But then it's also like the actual profile of the ski is pretty stiff. And then we also uh, know that it's like mostly fully cambered ski. So we can kind of get into some of what that means. But those two things kind of attribute to a ski that, you know, is maybe great for like efficiency uphill, has good edge hold when you're skiing like firm snow back in Europe or wherever you were but maybe wasn't doing a whole lot for you when it comes to like softer snow conditions or trying to gain more confidence in trees and and things like that. So I think we'll discuss some options that are probably, well, I mean, a bit heavier because that's like what you were been on is kind of like a true touring ski, but not heavy in a bad way, more heavy in like a helps smooth out the terrain. And when you're skiing like chopped up snow in the resort, it'll kind of help uh, just kind of mute out some of those vibrations. But then also anything that we're looking at is definitely probably going to have a bit more rocker to it, which is going to help with maneuverability. So we can kind of dissect a little bit more of some of what that means. But I just wanted you to know that some of your issues that you mentioned as far as maneuverability on your old ski, you don't have to blame that necessarily on yourself. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's good to know. I'm so excited to get a new pair of skis. <laughs> yes. And, and good therapy, like this positive reinforcement. Yes. Good job, yes. Kara. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> really trying to take the therapy elements uh, all the way through here, too. Some positive twists. So now let's just also clear up a couple of other things. So you're going to be skiing like mostly in the Rockies. It's going to need to be, you know, for the conditions we have here, which on resort, you know, we do get some great snow, but it often gets skied out pretty quickly. And then, like you mentioned, some days it's just going to be chasing the kids around. And then other days it's going to be like, you're on your own mission trying to make the most of your day because it's mama's Mm -hmm. time, which is totally valid. Um, Do you think you're pretty much only looking at a ski for resort right now? You're kind of like able to still use that touring setup for what Mm -hmm. it is? 
Yep. Yes, definitely. So yeah, resort, ski. Exactly. All right. Well, I think, uh, you know, we've kind of established a little bit about what the prior ski was doing and maybe some uh, room for improvement. So we'll get into that in a second. But we're also like the full picture here is that you're looking for a full new Alpine ski setup. And just to be clear, Erica, you're okay with this just kind of being your resort dedicated setup and you don't really need like crossover into the backcountry for this particular setup at this time? Nope. Just all resort. Okay, perfect. We'll get more into skis, but now talking boots. Um, you mentioned that you're kind of in a very touring-oriented boot right now. It's the DinaFit uh, TLT7 Expedition CR, which I'm actually not too familiar with that particular model, but I do know it's kind of in that like ultralight, yes, very, very light. light, you know, great walking potential, but probably not great for skiing in resort. Do you have any like thoughts on that boot as far as how it's fit or, I mean, have you had any issues or like, did you really sit down with a boot fitter when you got that boot or did you just kind of put it on your feet and hope for the best? Yeah, I definitely, I sat down with someone, they like gave me five pairs of boots that were available in my size and those were definitely comfortable. They're super light. And that's what drove me to those ultimately is because they're so light. And they're just, they kind of hug your foot. Okay. So so it's been like an okay fit. Um, would you describe it as like a yeah. snug fit? I mean, they've been comfortable, but do you feel like they're snug and they do their job? Well, to be honest, they need a new liner. So <laughs> I noticed that going this season. <laughs> so I can't say they're super snug, but yeah, they did their job. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> All right, so now we have a pretty good idea of what uh, what sort of packed out AT boot you've been in, which has probably not been helping your resort skiing just because it's, you know, it's light no. and now packed mm-hmm. out um, and that you've also been in like a pretty lightweight touring oriented ski. So, mm-hmm. you know, as we look at options for a resort, I think it's going to be like pretty impressive as far as what you're going to gain out of it. At the summit next year, I'll totally kick ass. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Erica, well, I think uh, this is a good sort of foundation and we've gotten a good premise for like the kind of ultralight touring setup you've been on and kind of made do with last season. And, you know, I think we're going to be headed in a good direction with some recommendations here. But um, I just kind of wanted to talk through like maybe some of the differences between like your ultralight touring boot and what a more alpine specific boot is going to offer you, um, especially just for Mm -hmm. the type of skiing you're doing now. Um, and I'm glad like the touring boots worked for you. It seems like fit wise, you've kind of been in a good realm there. Of course, like our number one recommendation is always going to be to go sit down with a good boot fitter. We have plenty of them through our recommended shop program and even several, um, not too far from you. So we can kind of talk down, uh, talk through some of those options, but you know, sitting down with a boot, good boot fitter, having them look at your foot, um, not just like measure their, not just measure your foot. Um, but actually like look at some of your biomechanics, looking at your anatomy, and they're actually going to be doing several measurements to kind of truly gauge the volume of your foot. Um, so one, you know, one is just the length of your foot, but there's also like how wide is your foot? How tall is your foot as far as like how high your instep is? Um, you know, how high is your arch? All these different factors are really key when it comes to getting in that more uh, performance oriented alpine boot. I mean, for any boot in general, but just kind of starting from the top uh, for you will be great because the boot is the foundation of the entire setup and definitely the most important thing here. So 
skis are fun to talk about. They're prettier. You know, there's a lot going on with skis. But I think, uh, you know, starting with the boot is probably my number one recommendation. And, you know, you're used to a touring boot. It's probably not super supportive, meaning that, you know, both laterally and like fore and aft, there's probably kind of a bit of play in that boot. And that mixed with the packed outliner probably means you've been having to work a whole lot harder than you need to be. Um, so yeah, so, once again, it's <laughs> not you. Doing? It's okay. We can, we can just blame the touring. I wouldn't, blame the equipment. I wouldn't want to ski that boot that you've been in on resort. I feel like that would be a challenge for me. So a, a good Alpine boot is going to provide more support, which means that the energy that you're putting in to that boot is going to quicker transfer to the ski. So you're not having to work as hard or get as forward um, before that energy transfers. So it's a little bit quicker. And that's ultimately going to be your energy savings at the end of the day. Um, and just having that support also means, you know, that you don't, you know, you can just roll your ankle a little bit and that ski is able to kind of link up into a turn. And um, all it, all skiing really comes down to is pressuring the front of your boot and rolling your ankles. And so if you get a good fit out of your boot, you're in sort of the correct realm as far as stiffness goes. Um, I do think that's going to provide you a lot of benefit compared to what you've been in um, th- these last few years. It's going to make all the difference. Yeah. Wrote um, to us that you wanted to increase your confidence. And I think a good pair of boots is going to do wonders for that. And one other thing to note that in the seven years since you purchased those, I believe you said seven years, ski boots have gotten a bit more comfortable. Like there's a lot of options. So what? So that's why it's it's like, don't just buy them online, like get your foot in there because some work yeah. for some people, some, you know, based mm-hmm. on everything Kara was saying. So, yeah. I, I mean, it's not going to be as like a comfy slipper, perhaps, but there's some good options out there. Yeah. And I think we'll just go a bit further down the boot boot path right now, because obviously I'm a boot fitter and I'm very focused on ski boots a lot of the time. Um, but I think like so there's some of those performance benefits um, and then. Just kind of going back to the fit, um, the biggest thing is going to be a nice uniform snug fit. So a lot of boot fitters will describe it as like a firm handshake. You just want that boot kind of nicely hugging your foot um, with even pressure kind of everywhere. And, uh, you know, really being able to focus on like putting, driving your shin into the tongue of that boot and feeling like you have like a nice forward, balanced and natural stance. And these are all things that your boot fitter should work with you on. Um, you know, assessing your ankle joint range of motion, making sure that you can get forward in the correct boot. Um, and then, of course, like having someone who's experienced get eyes on your foot, they're going to be able to really match your foot shape to the correct boot shape. But to Kristen's point, there is so much that has changed and improved in the ski boot world since you last purchased your pair of boots. Um, I think the most notable changes is like boots can be still actually quite lightweight. Um, but also like nice, stiff and supportive Alpine boots. Um, So there's been brands that have kind of balanced both of those attributes where you can get like a nice lightweight boot that also is supportive and stiff enough to really have fun on resort. Other benefits as far as like fit features go, there's a lot of boots that have heat moldable shells. So, um, you know, your boot fitter can actually like put the entire shell in an oven and have that mold to your foot. Um, that's great if like maybe you've spent too much time in 
Nordic boots over the years and maybe you have like a bunion or just something that's kind of like <laughs> bothering you. I, I can't say for sure. Maybe you should put your, your foot up on the screen in a second. <laughs> we could look at the foot. Wait, wait, wait. How old do you think I am? I think people get the no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, I wasn't judging. I was not Don't judging. Put that bunion-free foot in your mouth, Erica. <laughs> um, yeah, and then heat multiple liners as well. But then also just like some great characteristics, I think, in a lot of boots, like just like good insulative materials that can keep your foot warmer. And so there's just, I think, like some significant upgrades in terms of alpine boots um, since maybe the last time you were in like a true alpine boot. And then I also know that you mentioned like spending a lot of time with your kids or like on snow with your kids or just like walking around the resort. And so I think there's definitely some features there that we could talk about as well as far as like how far into a boot with a walk mode do we want to go. Um, And then also knowing that a lot of boots now have a grip walk sole. So like boots used to be really hard to walk in. And now most manufacturers especially in um, kind of all of their boots, but especially in their Alpine touring and Alpine boots are coming specced with a grip walk sole, which is just a lot easier, like grippier, but also more walkable sole. So you don't have to like walk as awkwardly. So we can talk about like maybe if you want to walk mode or not. Um, But I think you're in a great place as far as like, there's a lot of great boot options out there right now. I'm excited for the guidance. It's intimidating going out there and seeing all the other, you know, all the boots and you're like, what? What do I do? Yeah. And I I think it's like totally fair, uh, a fair point, but also knowing that like, it's not necessarily up to you to like interpret all of the boots that are out there um, Mm -hmm. and miraculously land on the right one. I think especially when it comes to boots, it's invaluable and totally essential that you have a boot fitter there, like helping you make those decisions um, because, you know, they know what like all the slight nuances like, oh, this boot has a slightly tighter ankle pocket and this boot has a slightly wider forefoot and all these slight differences that can make a huge difference when they're looking at your foot and thinking about what will work best for you. Um, So I know you also mentioned like doing some research on your own. Mm-hmm. That can be a, da- yes, a daunting process, I think. Uh, as, <laughs> as you were doing that, like what, what did you find out or what came to mind? So I, I didn't at all research boots. I didn't even touch that yet. And when it's, so it's interesting. And of course it makes complete sense. The boot is the main thing. The rest of it really you can get by on, but the boot and how it speaks to the ski <laughs> and the hill that that's good to know. I mean, I'm excited to go to a really good boot fitter. So all I looked into were the skis. Do you want to go into that? Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's, so let's get into I, it. <laughs> okay. I, of course, I want something with a fun graphic. And then, of, then I go into the ski a bit, but, um, I was looking at like, um, and I kept coming across free ride skis, but I know I want all mountain, I believe. So, um, but I like was looking at the Rosignol black ops that came up, mm-hmm. um, Nordica Santa Ana, is it? Santa Ana. Yeah. And then, um, and then the Icelandic, um, I was looking at the maidens and I know that's a free ride ski, but then I was looking at the riveter. Whereas the Riveter doesn't have as great reviews. So um, those are the only ones I kind of looked into. Oh, and then I was I was kind of researching the background of, uh, is it line skis? They're what, out of Vermont, I think? Like this, this or New York, New mm-hmm. York. 
It's like upstate New York. Some guy started making them in his garage. And I was looking at the whole history of them. Nice. And I was wondering how those are <laughs> as well. So it's kind of what I've come across so far. Yeah, so you're out there in the ethers and there's like so much information. Um, that's good that you're able to like kind of extrapolate on some of it and be like, oh, this is interesting or, oh, that sounds kind of good. Um, and you're right. I mean, as far as like looking at an all mountain ski, you've currently been on something that's 88 millimeters underfoot, which for like a lightweight touring ski, when you're like maybe skiing firmer, like more glacier type snow, maybe in Europe, or you're not like necessarily like seeking out the powder or able to get to the resort on powder days. Um, I think 88 millimeters underfoot probably made a lot of sense for you. You know, now 88 is kind of on that, like, I'd say the narrower side of all mountain, ranging up to maybe like 105 underfoot uh, as far wow. as a good all, for all mountain, as far as a good all mountain ski. And we'll probably kind of like stick to suggestions, like sort of right in the middle of that. But I mean, you know, you came across some like good all mountain skis. The big thing with all mountain is that's like such a general term. And I think everyone's all mountain ski looks a little bit different as far as where you ski, what you're prioritizing. Um, and, you know, and yeah, the biggest thing being like, you know, is this the ski that you're going to take to the resort if it's, it hasn't snowed in three weeks or the same ski that you take to the resort, hopefully after it snowed like two feet. Um, you know, that's like what a, a pretty well-rounded, versatile all mountain ski should provide and there's always going to be slight compromises in one direction or the other but you can kind of find that sweet spot that really will work for you most days sweet spot let's do it (laughs) okay so when i came across all the research that's out there i could spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure out my skis um i all the terminology the tech terms like um camber side cuts rocker and even what the ski is built out of Mm -hmm is all overwhelming because unless I have a cheat sheet to keep referring back to, mm-hmm. I have no idea. I don't know what they're talking about. And I mean, I'm starting to learn about the width and figuring out the width and how that affects and powder and whatnot. But yeah. So can you help me out with those tech terms? I need that in my life. <laughs> um, absolutely. And I don't, you don't actually probably need to know all the ins and outs <laughs> yeah. of these tech terms. I, <laughs> um, I get questions. So I can talk about it with my kids. <laughs> I mean, we get, we get questions like this from Blister members all the time. And I think it's like totally fair that you don't need to be like the one who interprets all these different things. Um, sometimes it is just about like knowing certain things that you like, um, but maybe not having to know like all the different, you know, material skis can be manufactured out of or even like looking too closely at the numbers um like side cut radius that's a number that a lot of people focus on but it actually when it when you're actually on snow it's not going to translate to all that much it might have slight differences for you know like people who are super nuanced in their way of thinking about skis or like you're looking dramatically on one end of the spectrum or the other as far as like the radius of a ski then you might be able to feel some of that but getting hung up on like a meter difference uh when it comes to radius like that's just a waste of time and energy you have like way more important things to be doing you're a mother like there's no reason to even <laughs> thanks for the reminder <laughs> there's no reason <laughs> to, to fall down the rabbit hole <laughs> <laughs> to even waste your time with that but i think the the biggest thing that you just kind of pointed out was like you're looking at all these different terms and you're wondering like how do these factor into my needs and i think uh when we're talking about these you know, 
camber or rocker, things like that. We really just want to translate like what that means as far as performance. Um, so, you know, you came from a background of like really cambered skis. Um, I mean, we all did. That's how all skis used to be was just kind of fully cambered. And, you know, in the last like, I, I don't even know now, I guess, 15, maybe a little bit longer than that years, uh, we've really started to experiment with rocker. So I think Kristen has a pretty like good way of thinking about camber if you just kind of want to put a visual in people's minds. So the camber, Erica, just comparing it to our old classic skis, or I think that are both still in our closets, but it's that pocket underneath the ski that when like uh, you wax in, when you push down on it, it touches the ground, right? So it creates this longer effective edge and it's more of that traditional ski versus a rocker is how like, and, and I guess another way to look at these skis, if you put them together in a ski shop base to base, you'll see a gap between them, right? Um, now, the rocker is more of a tip and tail, and that's where they depart from each other when they're put together as well. We have uh, profile photos of these on our website for all the skis we review. And so it, it really just affects the performance of the ski based on whether it's more rocker, more camber. It, yeah, I'll let Kara talk more on the nuances of that. Yeah, tell me, tell me about the rocker, because I don't know how the rocker... I've, I assume camber affects like playfulness and like... Yeah, I think they both... Uh... And as with all things skis, like it's all a mixture of these things that lead you to that pretty ideal all mountain ski for your particular priorities. Um, so it's not just like, oh, this ski has this. So it's, you know, better. It's kind of like how these all these things all come together. So it's like a marriage of the rocker with the camber, with the materials that kind of all coalesce into like what might be that ideal ski for that particular someone. Right now, maybe the number one thing that you're kind of lacking from your current ski, I would wager, is rocker. Um, you're on a mostly fully cambered ski with very little rocker or early rise. And um, you're right in saying that camber does have some effect on like the playfulness of a ski. Um, mostly camber is going to translate to edge hold, uh, but camber also translates some to like liveliness and sort of energy beneath you so kind of some attributes as far as rebound because as you weight that camber you're kind of um engaging into the rocker and then that camber is sort of rebounding you into the next turn so there is some sort of features of camber that uh beyond just edge holds that i think are can be beneficial especially in an all mountain ski um and you know how much camber versus how much rocker um, again, it's it's there's not no one right answer, but knowing that you have a good mix of both, I think, is typically like sort of the best place to land, especially for just a pretty versatile ski that you want to take out in all conditions. Now, where you've been lacking is on the rocker side and rocker provides a lot of benefits. I mean, there's a reason that rockers kind of helped transform the ski industry and help ramp up skiing again in the last like 15 years. And that's because, I mean, in some ways it just makes skiing easier. So. A ski with good rocker in the tip and tail um, is going to be more maneuverable because, again, those parts of the ski are kind of lifting up off the snow. So excited. Um, making it, <laughs> it is exciting. I want to go I'm skiing. So um, too. So as you're waiting that camber, the rocker portions are kind of lifting up off the snow, making the tip and tail a little bit easier to skid, pivot, kind of um, slarve in and out of turns. So you don't, you know, a full camber ski is kind of demanding that you hold an edge 
um, tip to tail, like the full effective edge, the full length of that ski you're kind of having to utilize. But Rocker makes it that when you're actually on edge, you might not be skiing the full length of the ski. Your effective edge might actually be shorter than the full length of the ski itself because those parts of the ski are kind of lifted up off the snow. And that's a huge benefit in trees, moguls, um, and then also translating to powder because when you're on powder, you might be less on edge and more just on base, on your bases. And having rocker is going to help kind of lift that ski up out of the snow. So that's why like powder skiing has been dramatically changed in, you know, the last couple of decades, not just because the width, not just because skis have gotten wider, but also because rocker makes skis a bit easier to float and playing on top of the snow versus kind of a full camber ski is going to have the tendency to really want to dive under the snow. Oh, that's what my problem was. I'm so excited <laughs> for rocker. Yeah, it's going to be great. I mean, um, but a lot of, it a is- lot of benefits. Yeah. And it is, again, a combination of it. So it is pretty complex. And that's why in the reviews and everything, we try to speak towards like the combination and how it really feels on snow, because you don't want just a hundred percent, like a full rockered ski, right? Necessarily for your one quiver. Like it, they all work together. They help balance each other out. And so, you know, like all the skis will probably suggest are going to have a nice mixture of camber and rocker. Um, and then, you know, the other things that you mentioned is like, what is with all these different materials that skis are made out of? And that is a whole other thing that we don't necessarily like, again, like we don't need to get into like the nitty gritty details because it might just, uh, be like more information than is helpful, but you've been on a super lightweight ski, um, that's kind of built for touring. And some of what you want to think about is that, um, a light ski like that, like the ski you've been on is actually a little bit stiff, but not very um, damp. So because it's like full camber and the way it's built and everything else, like you kind of really have to drive that ski. Um, it's not very maneuverable. It's not going to do great in powder. But now as you're looking at skis, you might kind of be departing from a touring ski, which means the ski might be just a touch heavier. But what that does is it helps sort of provides well it does provide stability and it also helps kind of smooth out the snow beneath you um so like a a lightweight ski is gonna have maybe a lot more like gonna kind of chatter around it's gonna deflect off the snow a bit if you hit like a firm patch and then a soft patch you know that ski because of its nature isn't necessarily gonna like smooth out the terrain whereas like a pretty good all mountain ski for you is probably going to do a better job of catering to these different snow conditions just by nature of it, like having a slightly different construction. You know, there is always the sort of biggest differentiator, which is does a ski have metal in it or not? Um, And, you know, a lot of people really love skis with metal just because metal, um, teach and all, it's mostly aluminum, uh, does help sort of mute vibrations um so again adding weight but then also just helping to kind of keep things a little bit smoother um there's other materials that do this carbon i mean there's a lot of different things that manufacturers play with to help provide these different characteristics in a ski um for you it's mostly just going to be like finding that right mix um based on like what you've kind of told us i don't think we're gonna like opt for that really you know, ski with two sheets of metal. I don't necessarily think that's where we need to go. The, the big differentiators are just like, does the ski have metal in it or not? Or 
Also, what is the ski that you currently have? What has it been up to as far as materials and construction? And then what might do a better job for you um, as an all-mountain ski? We don't have to like necessarily like think about all the different types of wood that skis can be built of or anything like that. That's that's no ain't no one got time for that. (laughs) (laughs) So before we kind of, I guess, talk about some options, do you have any other, I mean, questions like we've kind of talked width, we've talked camber rocker, we've talked side cut radius and how maybe we don't need to dwell too much on that particular aspect. Oh, length too, I guess. Um, I actually, so I didn't even realize what my length was and I went back and looked at my skis and because I was just being lazy and looking at the charts online and trying to, you know, they give you the guesstimates of what length you should choose. I kind of thought I was going to get the next length up, which was about 165, I think is recommended, but I was already there or I am already there. So I'm not sure if I should change that length at all, if it should stay the same. Um, if I should go shorter. So that's another factor. Yeah, that's a, it's a really fair question. And that uh, you have to take in consideration all of the, the terms we just talked about too. So if you have a really rockered ski, you're going to want to size up a little bit more versus a, a camber ski like you have. So that's probably a great size for you, the 163. Um, and how tall are you again, Erica? 5'5". Uh, five, 5'5", five. Five, five. yeah. So that's all part of the the decision on what to get is part of that construction as well. Yeah. And you probably won't be straying like too far from where you've been, knowing that every ski, pretty much every ski that we talk about um, is going to be a lot more maneuverable than what you're used to. Meaning that if it's, I'm not like saying, oh, we should jump up a size necessarily, but if it's a few centimeters longer than what you've been on, I wouldn't even worry about it because what you've been on is like a pretty, true 163 meaning like the actual effective edge of that ski skis like a 163 whereas a ski with some nice uh rocker in the tip and tail um it's just going to be so much more maneuverable and then when you're actually on edge just by nature of that rocker camber profile you're gonna have a little bit uh less ski to kind of drive than what you've been doing so not a huge departure there either. Like you might go slightly longer or depending on like which links are available somewhere in that realm. Um, but it's, you know, it's as far as how to think about ski length, there is quite a few variables there, but knowing that you're moving towards something that's more versatile, more maneuverable and can cater to a wider range of conditions, um, kind of sticking to that same length or potentially a little bit longer would probably be the best bet. Well, now that you're so well educated now, Erica, we're going to say goodbye and let you go back. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, give me some skis. Uh, I want to know some ideas. Just spend some no, more time we- in the depths. Your hour's off. <laughs> yeah. We're going to, yeah, I'll let Kara lead it off on some of the skis she recommends for you. Yeah, so I think there's some great options out there for you. You're You're kind of operating in like a pretty ideal realm, I'd say, as far as like, um, you know, we've talked about We want something that's going to be a bit more stable, a whole lot more versatile and more maneuverable than what you've been on. There's plenty of great options um, and they're all going to kind of land in that slightly like maybe say 95 millimeter to 104 millimeter. Um, And again, you're in, you know, you're in Colorado right now. That is a pretty acceptable realm for all mountain skiing, especially like if you want to make the most of those soft snow conditions. 
um, without compromising too much on like the groomer and firm side. So I think our like number one recommendation that we were thinking about was the Elan Ripstick 94. Ah, I came across those. Yeah, nice. so that's a good one. Um, that's <laughs> yep. something on the narrower side. And so like a great daily driver, um, something that'll probably still really help you when it comes to like just thinking about technique on groomers, um, you know, trying to still master stuff when it comes to like still being on piste um, or just like being with the kids and being like, I want to just like practice like nice snappy turns today. This is a great ski for that. Um, and then the other one I'd recommend sort of in that width is the Shiva, a uh, Blizzard Shiva 9. Um, that's a ski that actually there's quite a bit of an overhaul to it this year. Um, and we like both versions. So, you know, that's something to think about as you're shopping. There's a lot of reasons to not necessarily buy like the 23, 24 versions of a lot of these skis. Um, sometimes there is a reason to buy the new, the new one because maybe they made a significant upgrade. But there's reasons to also like shop previous year's products. And we actually think that maybe the older Shiva 9, not the current like brand new one, um, but the older one could potentially be a good option too, just because it's uh it's it's has shares a lot of characteristics to that of the ripstick 94, but it might be just a tad bit more stable. So with the ripstick, like are you looking at the the older version as well, or does that that ski has been mostly unchanged um for a few years. So again, it's kind of like if you can find an older one that's on sale, um, we would encourage you go that direction. Um, thinking that like your first priority is the boots. So spend maybe the most money and time on the boot and then skis can kind of come second. And if you can save some money on the skis and the bindings, which we'll get into, I say that's always a good option. They also make the Ripstick 102. So there we're just looking a bit wider underfoot, jumping from 94 to 102 underfoot. And I think the 102 is still a perfectly acceptable everyday ski. Um, that's going to be something, you know, as you go wider, might be a bit better in powder but then also like as the powder gets skied up on colorado resort days as it gets kind of choppy and not as smooth um having a wider ski is also beneficial in that regard well i was just gonna um add that the ripstick 94 uh is one of my favorite skis it's always on my quivers uh usually battling it out for the one ski quiver so i really like it and i have it in a 170 which they, it's like 162, 170, 178. So I could possibly bump up, but I really like the maneuverability for me of the 170. So I'm curious, would 170, so I would probably do, you said it was 162 up to 170. Well, there's, I mean, there's smaller sizes too. It comes in a 146 and a 154, but 162 might be good for you or uh, the 170. I don't know if you have your thoughts on that, Kara, for the yeah, I think knowing that it's going to be a whole lot more maneuverable and easy to turn, given that there's more rocker, um, you're not going to have to drive the camber as hard to get that ski to kind of engage on its edge because of just the overall profile of it compared to what you've been on. Um, it's not unheard of that you would go to the 170. But would you recommend, I mean, Chris, you know what, three inches taller than I am, I think, at least? Yep. I think if you're, um, it, well, based on what you've said, as far as like, I want, I mean, you said powder, stability, maneuverability. Those were kind of your like things. Uh, stability is going to be the 170 and maneuverability is going to be the 162. So it is, again, just about priorities. I think you can still find a balance point there. Like, I think you'd still find that the 170 is probably way more maneuverable than your current ski. So it's all just kind of in relation to what you know. Um, and 
things like that. But if you're like, I just want it easy. I want it quick. I just want to like get in the moguls and the trees and not have to even think about it. Then if that's your priority, that's when I would say go 162. Definitely thoughtless. Okay. So let's do 162. All right. I like it. <laughs> just go like a mom zombie, just down the hill, <laughs> wherever I can get out of the way of the kids. Mom zombie. Yeah, they're, they're graphics <laughs> or mom zombie. <laughs> I think that could be a graphic, right? Mom the, zombies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That might scare some people away. <laughs> um, not, their graphics are pretty right good people. too. <laughs> so one other thing to note about the ripstick, just so when you go into a store or whatnot and you see like a left and right, it is actually asymmetrical. Um, it's rocker profile is asymmetrical. It's pretty subtle, but like I, I always put it the left on my left, right on the right. So something to keep in mind. It's uh, one of very few skis that's like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and so we've kind of and we've talked about anything from like sort of the Ripstick 94. Now we're up to like 102 um, underfoot. There's even a chance that we're going to bring in some other classic skis that are just like so intuitive, easy to get along with. But one more I'll mention just on the wider side while we're here. So we were just talking about the Ripstick 102 is the Line Pandora 104. Um, So you were talking about Line skis and the Pandora 104 has been a long time favorite of ours because it's pretty impressive. Like it's super lightweight. It's definitely on the lighter end of skis, but it's actually pretty smooth and um, provides some relatively good stability for considering its rocker profile and considering that it's wide and lightweight. Um, So I think, you know, there's quite a bit there, but then it's also when it comes to just like a highly maneuverable, playful, fun ski, especially in soft snow, the line Pandora 104 always sticks out. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned you mentioned the Santa Ana skis. Um, that's the Nordica Santa Ana series. And those are also long term favorites of ours. Um, you know, over the years, Kristen and I have spent a ton of time on Santa Ana skis. They, you know, start at 88 millimeters underfoot and go up from there. Um, but, you know, when you're talking about something that's like really sort of uh well, really maneuverable and just like maybe thoughtless to ski, I'd say they can feel a bit more demanding. Um, and you kind of have to like drive them a bit more and maybe they're not like the easiest ski um, among all the options to pivot in the trees or when you just want, you know, it's a ty- long day, you're tired and you just want to make some easy turns. Um, so maybe deviating a bit from the Santa Ana skis, which, you know, they are classics and they're great. I would maybe point you actually in the direction of a new Nordica ski, which is the Unleashed 98. And so the Unleashed skis are, well, they have a bit more rocker tip and tail, um, particularly in the tail than the Santa Anas. So again, they're just going to be really easy, quick, maneuverable, and they're lighter because they don't have as much metal as the Santa Anas. Um, And so that's where, you know, I've still been really impressed with them. They're one of the best, uh, skis on groomers that I can recollect from last season. Like they carve really well. They make really quick, fast, snappy turns, but they're also just a blast in softer snow and bumps and trees. So I think the Unleashed 98 has a pretty sweet spot for a good versatile all-mountain ski these days and might just be a bit more like intuitive, easygoing than the Santa Ana's. Um, But, you know, again, this is, uh, we're talking about just like slight differences between all those different factors. So like the Unleashed having a bit more rocker, 
being a bit lighter, that can attribute to something that's just a bit more easygoing and forgiving. And a cool graphic. Yeah, um, really nice graphic. Kind of a, nice. <laughs> kind of a moody graphic. Um, <laughs> and then what what size or length would you recommend in that, Kara? Oh, man, I think um, it's like a 160. 160, 168, or 174. Oh, 168. Yeah. I think it goes 162, 168. I think a 162 in that particular ski might might be a little like too maneuverable. Um, so 168 would be a bit more stable, but then still plenty maneuverable. And has this one changed over the years, or is it just so that ski was brand new last season? Ah, okay. um, but they have already changed the graphics. So if you could find last year's graphic, which isn't quite as colorful, um, but still still nice. It has some nice tree silhouettes. Um, if you can find last year's graphic, it's unchanged uh, from last year to this year. Um, so you could definitely save a bit of money there. But the new graphic for this year, I must say, it is it is nice. Exciting. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then there's just maybe one other classic ski that is hard to not recommend. And we'll just kind of slot it in there as something that, um, you know, is is kind of like a... Um, I don't know. It's a great ski to just, it's like a reference ski. Like if you were like, I just want to demo something and see if I want something a bit on the narrower side, this is maybe that ski. Um, so do you want to talk about your classic pick there, Kristen? Yeah. So I've been gravitating towards 88, like right around 88 for the width of my skis. And um, which I guess we never really explained. Do you understand what, what that is, Erica, when we talk about the waist or the width? Is It's talking um, about underfoot. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, because uh, other dimensions are, you know, tip tail and other parts like mm-hmm. that. So, so 88 is uh, one of my favorite widths for all mountain skiing. And Black Pearl, uh, I get along really well with. Uh, it is very easy to recommend. It's wildly popular. So, maybe not the sexiest choice in some instances. Um, not offensive graphics, but it, it is fun. So, uh, throwing that out there for you. It's not going to be the powder day ski. Like it is, oh, and it's 88 doesn't, um, not super wide in the shovels, but I mean, if you planned on, if you're gonna, I mean, personally, like, well, now that I'm in Mount CB, hopefully I'll get more powder days, but I found that on powder days, school was canceled and I couldn't actually go skiing without oh. my son. So I, I've been <laughs> severely lacking in powder days recently. So I haven't needed a powder ski as much, but that's just a, yeah, it's Another a good one to, keep to throw out there, too, because, I mean, it's like if you're shopping around and we definitely recommend that you um, peruse like old demo skis that uh, shops are selling. Um, and, you know, like we mentioned previous year's skis where maybe constructionally they haven't changed, but it's an older graphic. Um, so maybe you like find a Black Pearl on a, at a great price and you're like, all right, this is going to be my like ski for when it is firm. And then knowing that you'll also like complement that down the line with something a bit wider. Um, so that's where like having something in that like 85 to 90 and then something in that like 100 to 110 might you might end up having that like two ski quiver where you're like finding a balance between two skis. But also knowing that there's plenty of skis like we just talked about that are an acceptable one ski quiver that do- does it all. Yeah. Sorry. Erica. You're like, I want one ski. You're like, well, it's <laughs> kind of addicting. <laughs> And for the next part of therapy, Erica gets told she needs a five ski quiver. She's like, (laughs) you just need more, more, more. 
<laughs> no, but that's good to know. I like how you mentioned too the demo skis because I'm always like, okay, you can see some skis are great prices, but then you're like, well, how much have they been chewed up? Like, so that you mentioned the demo skis, I'm like, ah, okay, cool. And then to have a maybe a have that two ski quiver. The only problem with my quiver <laughs> is that by the time I get to the mountain and actually get yeah. on the mountain with kids, right? Right, yep. Kristen? Yep. It's like, well, I'm just skiing with whatever I grabbed. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't plan ahead that well. Well, yeah, and you don't no. want to... We, we have a drive, but... You don't want to mm-hmm. have to have those extra variables necessarily. But yeah, I think there's some there's some great options in there and you can always follow up with us. You're a Blister member, so you can follow up with us and ask any follow-up questions or like if you're just kind of torn between two i mean there's always um just those next like next clarifying questions that we can get to that put you in the right spot mm-hmm. and come to the blister summit again with, yeah with non-at Woo! boots and we can get you on a whole slew of different yes! skis oh maybe mm-hmm. i won't face someone yeah yeah and that's yeah, another approach too like just go to a great boot fitter at the beginning of the season get a boot that is doing wonders for you and then you can demo a couple of skis and go from there. As I recommend that to people all the time, because again, like boots, you, there's no, first of all, there's no reason to demo a ski if you don't have a boot that is properly fit and doing what it's supposed to. That's such a waste of time and money because you're like trying to figure out what's going on with the ski and how, how can you possibly know if your boot's not doing its job? So starting with a good boot, um, getting a proper fit, getting, you know, custom insole, doing the works with the boot. And then from there, you can maybe just try a couple of skis and get a bit more clarification. Um, yeah. So give me the boots. Give me the boots. <laughs> I said, put your foot up on the screen. We can try that. <laughs> um, and that just leaves us with bindings. And bindings are actually pretty easy. It's the You don't have to overthink bindings really at all. Um, I think the biggest thing is making sure... You, I mean, you mentioned the hybrid binding, but then we kind of clarified that you don't really need this ski to be a touring ski. So I would say if that's the case, there's more benefits to just going with a regular Alpine binding instead of a hybrid binding. Um, the biggest things with bindings are making sure that they are going to work with whatever boot you end up with. Um, because I mentioned earlier, there's different soles now. Not all boots have the same soles. So there's regular alpine sole boots which has like been the norm for a long time but now there's grip walk soles um as you end up in the correct boot it's gonna hopefully be really easy to find a binding that is compatible with that boot but if it's a grip walk boot a boot with a grip walk sole then you need a alpine binding that has um either is stamped with grip walk and it can work with a grip walk boot or a binding that is stamped uh, MN, which just means multi-norm. And that just means that it has the ability to work with different soles. Um, so that's the big thing. Um, the other differentiators are just like making sure that they work with your specific DIN setting. And um, that's, again, like you don't need to necessarily know that, but your DIN is based on your height, weight, age, and skier type. And all bindings have a different DIN range. So you just kind of want to fall somewhere in the middle of that range, typically. And lastly, um, you know, maybe the biggest factor would be weight. Um, So you could probably opt for something a little bit lighter. And, uh, you know, we're doing some binding testing right now, Alpine binding testing. And there is some distinctions like weight, how easy bindings are to step in and out of. 
um, you know, things like that. But for you, I would just kind of get something that's like a pretty good price, works with your boot and is the correct DIN range. And um, all bindings are, you know, as far as like how they release and what manufacturers have put in to make sure that bindings kind of are standardized. Uh, you don't have to necessarily overthink like, should I get this brand or this brand? You know, it's, uh, okay. yeah. I mean, there's such a difference though in prices of binding. Mm-hmm. That's why like, I would say you can opt for a better price. Like, yeah. And, and the break, make sure like oh, yeah. most of the time it's interchangeable. So the break has to fit with the waist of your ski. So you don't want something that the break for 120 millimeter ski and you're on an 88. Cause then you're just going to have these crazy, you know, metal pieces coming out. Um, and you don't want, obviously you don't want it too small cause then it won't actually work so good point yeah and and when you are testing and you're on demo bindings like don't necessarily recommend keeping those demo bindings get an alpine binding because that does add a lot more weight with that plate underneath them but uh care do you have some boots that she like when she goes into a boot fitter yeah really i mean really hard without seeing your foot um, because it's all about how wide, like how voluminous your foot is and matching that. Not very. Okay, good. So like if you think you have a pretty low volume foot um, and also having not like seen things that things that affect how well you flex a boot and stuff like that. Um, I mean, there's great options out there and there is boots with walk modes. Um but if you're not touring in this boot, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that you have to get a boot with a walk mode. It can be nice for walking around the resort and, you know, dealing with the kids and everything else. Um, but regardless, I think like a good boot with a grip walk sole will still be pretty reasonable for getting around. Um, and I would just, I mean, the boot for you is definitely going to be just the boot that fits your foot. Um, if you are like on the lower volume side, I'd probably just point you in the direction of like trying on um, an Atomic Hawks Ultra, um, maybe looking at the Nordica Pro Machine, the Ling, um, well, Ling RX uh, LV. Actually, that would be a boot that's on sale this year because they discontinued their RX line. Um, And that's the other thing is knowing that like boot, uh, a good boot fitter um, can really match all of this to the right, you know, to your foot. Um, and then like, so the biggest differentiator between all the different boot options is going to be volume and kind of matching the boot shape to your foot. Um, but then stacked on top of that is what is going to be the appropriate boot flex or stiffness of boot for you. And there's a bunch of different factors that goes into that. And again, this is why having the boot fitter looking at you in the boot is invaluable, but a lot of it's going to come down to your height, weight, skier ability. And then mixed in with some of your biomechanics. Um, so again, having a boot fitter that's looking at your ankle joint to see how flexible or inflexible you are. You know, boot flex is an important aspect, but there's so many variables that maybe go into deciding what is that appropriate boot flex for you. Knowing that you're probably going to fall somewhere in between um, the, I'd say 85 and 100, maybe for stiffness. And I can't really say where's the right way to go without seeing all these variables at play but that is like some of the things that go into getting in the right boot flex and um that on top of a great fit on top of all those other little things can definitely lead you to the right place and i think it'll make a huge difference i'm excited to go forward with this where is ski season we just got some snow on the peak <laughs> oh nice just last night yeah sweet on um, pike's peak 
so on Pikes Peak, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So well, not that I'm going out there to go skiing anytime yeah. soon. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, right now is a great time to shop for skis because there are those like Labor Days pass, but like those sales are going mm-hmm. on. They're trying to get rid of their inventory. Um, and we do have some recommended shops that aren't too far away from you. Some are, you know, online. You can shop it, but I like step Definitely one, go see that go yeah, see the boot fitter. Mm-hmm. Or come over here and like Kara, look at your foot. Yeah. I'll be down this weekend. Oh. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Um yeah, start with the boots. Skis, you can experiment with a bit more if you want, or kind of land on one of these options, knowing that it's gonna be a huge jump from where you've been and probably way more versatile and way more fun than what you've been on. Um, so I think you're in a really easy direction to just like have an upward trajectory and have a ton of fun on skis this season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excited. Yeah. Oh man. Do you guys have any snow at all on any of the peaks? I haven't Not seen yet. any. It hasn't quite been no. cold enough, but it, it, it'll happen. I think this week cause we have a bunch of rain coming through. So any day now. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And you already have plans to come to Crested Butte. So hopefully we yep. overlap. Yeah. We already have our reservation started. Mm-hmm. Sweet. <laughs> and the summit too. So I'll be there a couple of times. Yeah. Yay. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, Erica. Thanks, guys. Kara, amazing. I feel better about this. My, I just feel calm and collected. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but the only problem is now I'm going to get like, yeah, five ski quiver. I think well, so. Next, we've opened up a can next of worms. Season I'll be on. We'll have to like, we'll have to cut back like next season. I'll be like, okay, I have twenty skis in my quiver. It's too much. I'll be eliminate. Yeah, I think no. Kara outlined some um, really good one ski quivers, so I think you yeah. start there. You can always come to some and test some of these other ones yeah. when you want to start throwing yes. even more money down and getting more space in your garage for skis. Yeah. So, <laughs> yep. Well, thanks, guys. Yay. Hey, thank yeah, you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Gear 30. Don't forget to register for the Blister Summit. And of course, if you want to get more advice like this, please become a Blister member or a Blister Plus member, in which case you'll receive protection from accidents like these. Um, because right now, Kristen's going to share a bit of crashes and close calls for you. And this one didn't happen doing a high-intensity, high-speed sport, but rather just a more outdoorsy form of walking. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for framing it as walking instead of hiking, Kara. <laughs> Sorry, I meant <laughs> hiking. What so, do you have for us, Kristen? So this was a very long time ago. This is back in my high school cross-country skiing days. And my first or would have been my first overnight backpacking trip. This is external frames. There was nothing like internal frames back in this day. I'm totally dating myself. I had a pretty heavy backpack on and I was not used to that. I was pretty fit. We were with my Nordic ski team back in New Hampshire and went up to the, got to the summit of the first peak. Uh, It started raining a little. It was a super rocky summit. If you're, you've been hiking in New Hampshire uh, in the whites, you know how rocky and slick those rocks can be. And I started, uh, I leaned forward and the weight of the pack uh, pushed me forward. And instead of just kind of like rolling over and falling, I tried to regain my balance by running and I kept running and I did not regain my balance. I ended up falling face first into a pointed rock and I suffered a puncture wound at the top of this mountain. 
This is pre-cell phone, again, dating myself. I think my parents may have invested in a bag phone, if you know what that is. Uh, If you know what that is, that's awesome. If you don't, it was a bag that you put into your car and you hope it works. So couldn't get a hold of my parents. Uh, We did have somebody like hike out and like drive out to call an ambulance because it was a puncture wound to my head. It went in probably half an inch at least and a lot of bleeding. I still have a good scar right on my forehead and had to take the ambulance out, got stitches, everything like that. And my parents eventually contacted my parents and they came to pick me up, you know, hours away from home and everything like that. And I have no idea how much they paid, but I'm sure they weren't psyched on it um, for the deductible and everything like that. Uh, Cause well, yeah, anyway, so blister plus, like it really can happen anywhere. It I've fallen trail running before and I'm really not, klutzy like i generally have good balance but when you least expect it it can happen to you so get blister plus and know that you're covered all right good story thanks kristen and yes so for more advice from us about gear become a blister member and for really comprehensive outdoor injury related protection sign up for blister plus you get all the benefits of a blister membership and really good coverage And that concludes this week's episode of Gear 30. Thanks, of course, to our excellent producer, Justin Bob. Thanks so much to Erica for sitting down and enduring this process with us and hopefully gleaning some great information and also receiving some helpful gear therapy. Thanks to my awesome co-host, Kristen Sinat, who I'm really glad lives a lot closer to me now. And thanks, of course, to all of you for tuning in. We'll talk to you again real soon. Cheers. Cheers.